a young woman going out on a second date with a gentleman to a clue cabin turns out to be something that maybe nobody's expecting. And a doctor was blown up because of a discovery his girlfriend's made that turns him into the next dark superhero. I have to ask you one question. Who is Josh Rubin? That's right, because we have Josh Rubin with us to talk about his role in A Wounded Fawn, and we're also talking about Darkman, Sam Raimi's Darkman, here on Overdue Rentals. Welcome back, everybody, to Overdue Rentals, the show where we talk about films that, for whatever reason, who knows, they could have been Massive money makers that everybody saw. They could have been small indies that nobody saw, but they had a little bit of that pressure and power of talkability behind them. But nobody's talking about them enough anymore. I'm Matthew Shuckman. And I'm Cinema Lens Mike Reyes. And those movies could have blown up in a horrific lab accident while developing synthetic skin and have to hide to preserve themselves. I am just I'm just throwing things out here because I'm really excited. I, I'm really excited about presenting this episode to everyone. I'm really excited that I have done this episode with Mr. Matthew Shuckman because jo- Josh Rubin is someone that you may, you may all remember way back to, I want to say, episode five. We had Harvey Guillen for Werewolves Within, and after seeing that movie, it was like, we need Josh Rubin on well, this look, podcast. Yeah, I think we may have want, we, we probably could have said we want Josh Rubin earlier than that, too, because it's not like it's his first movie or his first appearance or anything ever. Well, true. But in the same but breath, it's like- really threw the fire, really- Yeah, and that's fire. where we learned about, not necessarily learned about, but that's where we like rediscovered or, or noticed his love of Darkman. And so this is one of those ones that we've been planning for a long time, is like, we want to do Darkman, but let's let's hold off till we get Josh Rubin on here because we know he's going to want to talk about Darkman. And finally, it has happened. We have brought Josh Rubin in to talk about Darkman because, yes, he does have a new film which just premiered on December 1st on Shudder called A Wounded Fawn. There's a which, couple new ones. I think uh, yeah, and Blood Relatives too. Which yeah. I, I, I am dying to see that. And I, I think we need to get Noah Sagan on the podcast too. So well, that, that'll be our next, like, our next chase like noah we we got josh josh is awesome i think he'll vouch for us especially if we give him a 35 millimeter print of dark man i don't know where we'll find it but we'll give him one we give him a 35 millimeter print of dark man we're stupid i'm sorry no offense josh we love you but i'm keeping that shit for myself true 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 (laughs) just like i still have stoked out i think it's an original I, an original teaser poster for Dark Man on the internet, and it is. I, I am. I am. Have it staked staked out for my my basement because. <laughs> I, just quick thing. I, I, I'm. Then we should get into your introduction as well. But one of my my first introduction to Dark Man flat out was that poster, that Wait. one sheet where it just says "Who is Dark Man?" and it has the silhouette of Dark Man and the question mark, and then seeing the trailer for it with I think Ninja Turtles. And I saw the I saw the trailer for it with something, and that trailer just forget it, man. Well, that was that was crack for a kid in the '90s. Before before I get into my history and more of your history with Darkman, maybe we'll get Josh in here. We'll talk Fair. to Josh about these Fair. films, and then we'll go in a little bit further into the wonders of both A Wounded Fawn and the ever amazing Darkman. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the ever talented, the ever wonderful, and. Uh, one time, to- uh, a couple times, prove- uh, frequenter of Small World Coffee in Princeton Garden Theater, uh, Josh Rubin. 
at our overdue rentals counter because the movie store is where it happens. Thank you, Josh, so much for joining us. This is just absolutely fantastic. And, you know, again, not to repeat it and just say it, but for as much as wonderful things you've done, Mike and I, we're always within, man. Like, oh, man. That's oh, something. Thank you. That's something where, like, there, there are so many films out there that, whatever, what do you, what do you call them? They're, indep they're independent, you know, like they have a great budget, but they're not like 20 million to like $150, $100 million budgets you can tell smart people made a movie and smart people made that movie, man. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I mean, that was such a culmination of just, you know, every, throwing every skill set I possibly had and have amassed over the years of doing like low budget sketch comedy, like, you know, painful and exciting lessons learned on my first movie. And then just wanting to impress too. I mean, doing like, you know, technically it's a video game movie with ubisoft and you know it's pretty pretty crazy and yet they they gave me so much freedom so i was like well i better i better like really drive this home you know and also just a question mark COVID of it all it's like we just didn't know if we have a theatrical or not so it's like let's make this as amblin by way of fargo as possible and see if we hit, <laughs> we'll get ourselves a hit here well that's another question i wanted to bring up because obviously we're not too far removed from ubisoft tried to do big budget movies like they had those assassin's creed movies out and i know the division is parked over at netflix right now oh. how did you get a, an ubisoft project in your hands as like an indie director so wildly speaking of indie director the indie producers behind vanished behind uh thunder road um did another werewolf movie called wolf of snow hollow yeah, and those guys are buddies of mine. So Matt and Natalie over at Vanishing Angle, you know, I trust them and trust their taste. And I just asked them to come to a test screening of my first film of Scare Me. And they came and they were like, holy shit, we didn't know Josh had it in him. Um, and then, you know, not but a few weeks later, essentially wrote me and said, you might be great for this ODA, this open directing assignment to do this werewolf movie. And I was like, holy shit, werewolf movie, what's the vibe? It's a video game movie, and I was like, oh, no, it's based on a <clears throat> uh, sort of whodunit, uh, you know, VR video game um, uh, about a medieval village. And I was like, oh, boy, what's this going to be? And then, of course, I cracked the thing open, and it feels like kind of Carpenter-esque. Um, mm -hmm. And it feels so sort of tremors and so sort of clue. And I was like, oh, I, I see a way in here. And so... They said, if you want to pitch on it, you're more than welcome to. And so I busted my ass making this pretty bonkers, uh, I don't know, 100-page sort of pitch deck that I, I sort of created as a keynote to walk the producers through and pitch everything from, like, how it would condense and um, emphasize jokes to, like, the cinematographer I would use to how the color palette would change by act. I just kicked its ass, you know, and I, I, I just took a swing, too, because I, I – I didn't want to make a movie I didn't want to make. I just pitched the version of this that I would do best. That's even what Matt Reeves talks about with Batman. You know, he's like, well, I'm going to pitch you my version. There's no skin off my back if you, you're not going to go for this, like, dark kind of emo world um, version. And look what happened, you know. And to pitch them on a delay, too, because he was in the middle of apes. And he's like, wait a minute. This is how I want to make this. I can't make this until X. So it's almost like he's half talking yeah. himself out of it. And then they're like, no, we'll wait. <laughs> and it's worth it it's worth it to go through the legwork the labor of just kind of going and i did this recently on a, on a on a sort of an open directing assignment gig that i'm waiting to hear back on and i said i said look 
there's no skin off my back if you guys don't want to go this way. But if I were to come aboard, here's exactly what I would do. And I very thoughtfully kind of go through how I would do it. And, you know, as you get older and you get a little more confident um, and develop, not what I'd call any kind of like diplomatic immunity, but when you get like a couple movies under your belt and, you know, you, you grow into your skill set a little bit, it's like with anything. It's like even having the confidence to talk to someone at like, you know, your health insurance provider or to tell someone, don't call me back. Yeah. Um, you know, customer service or like, you know, what do you call them? Like spam calls or whatever it is. It's like, as we get older, we just have confidence about talking to people or saying no or setting up boundaries. And it's the same kind of thing with sales. And you just become a, like kind of a less thirsty, but more sort of, um, I guess, uh, sort of relaxed salesperson in that degree, become more confident because it's a year commitment. In some cases, a two-year commitment to do a movie. That's a lot of work. And so it paid off, thank God. I mean, honestly, if we could, we would sit here and talk to you for about, you know, as much as long as we could about werewolves and, and everything else. But we, we do have some <laughs> pressing matters to get to. It's all good. This might have to be a future episode, to be honest. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's, um, that's totally fine. But when it comes to now, because Wounded Fawn is now available for people to watch on Shudder. And it, it made its rounds to the festival circuit, made a lot of buzz. And for, again, for as much as you are a writer, performer, maybe before you became a filmmaker yourself, again, not in all terms, but just, you know, very specifically for what people can see on IMDb, let's say. Mm -hmm. What is the feeling for wanting to keep returning to being like, well, I still want to be an actor as well. I, and I still want to, you know, I do have a twinge for horror and I, I want to do these kinds of things. What brings you to to agreeing with Travis to, to play Bruce in this film? I mean, I, my love of acting, uh, you know, first of all, I was, uh, I was a horror lover before I was a comedy lover um, as a little, little kid, as a child of the 80s, you know. Um, and what a time to love horror and enjoy horror. That's right, I'm getting the first call. Like, it's true, it's like you walk into the video store and it's like this church-like vault of color and cardboard cutouts of freddy and you know the uh the device from the fly and whatever um you know uh my love of acting never died like didn't die certainly when i joined college humor that which was basically my film school i got to make a bunch of videos um you know with my friends and kind of fall down and fuck up technically to figure out how to shoot stuff and how to whatever while simultaneously acting so i realized there was kind of a financial advantage to directing if there was a way into that um but my love of acting never kind of died um my love of the genre never died as much as the comedy route kind of came to be so by the time you know travis you know wrote to me i looked at it like hell yes this is going to be a great opportunity you can't pin me down holy shit he's gonna you know he's gonna make these like you know festival darlings genre movies and then he's gonna go act in this like phantasmagoric psycho thriller um playing you know patrick bateman in the evil dead cabin like it was a dream because i i didn't want people kind of thinking like i'm i was gonna put that part of my life to bed just like they shouldn't think mark duplass is gonna put his directing career to bed he's gonna also play that incredible role in creep and he's gonna also produce and star in language lessons with natalie morales and he's going to show up on the morning show. Like, what a great, and just like Lee Winnell. Like, Lee Winnell will pop up in Insidious, but then he'll, you know, do all Lee Winnell, you know, Lee Winnell's brilliant. Um, so I just looked at it like, hey, my 
my heroes are kind of doing it. Jordan Peele still pops up in Big Mouth. I'm happy to still pop up in certain things, but he's still Jordan Peele. You know, he's he's gonna he's gonna make those incredible films. You know, so I'm just trying to keep up. I feel like that swivel is almost required, if not very, very much appreciated with filmmakers of this of your generation of our generation because mm-hmm. you see so many of them do it and uh, t- to your credit you know you see lee Wanell pop up in aquaman lee Wanell was an aquaman right i could have sworn he was in there it's possible i haven't seen it but i would not be surprised at all yeah like, hey, james cameo. is doing it so why not yeah yeah i mean do you feel that that gives you sort of an advantage when it comes to tackling any sort of project that you've got on your desk or even deciding what to tackle? Um, you mean just in, just in terms of like the filmmaking careers or skill set or acting background? Well, yeah. Basically, do you feel that being able to switch through all of these roles sort of helps you pick projects better or shape? Well, definitely shape projects, but it helps you pick projects better. I think so. I mean, it definitely opens up the opportunity gamut for when I'm unemployed, which is, you know, 90% of the time. It's like, if I'm not writing, I, you know, I'm acting. And if I'm not acting, I'm directing, um, you know, and, and in the meantime, trying to produce and, you know, get a graphic novel off the ground. It's like, I, I just, I just like kind of creating stuff and output. Um, and uh, this is such a, terrible industry in so many ways it's such a circus life if the highs are so high but the lows are just so awfully low part of how you kind of hack it is is output um and you know you you can't just do one thing um and so i think it is it's, it's easier in the sense that if you know i i can stay nimble travis wants to hit me up and do something appear in something hell yes i'll go do that that'd be a fun day or two days or even a month while i can also prep something else i mean what I love about an acting gig, like especially about, you know, Wounded Fawn, and I haven't told many other people this, but, um, you know, I went to a hotel room for, I was in a hotel room for a month in New Jersey, not far from Princeton, and I had all the quiet in the world uh, making this movie. So in my downtime, I wrote in, I think, five days, a spinoff of Scare Me in my hotel room. Um but complete barf of the script uh, that I'm hoping to make someday. It's just, it would be insane if anybody wanted to, you know, grant me the keys to do essentially a companion piece to it. Um, but, uh, you know, when I'm, when I'm off duty, I get to work on other things. I get to use that quiet time while also doing the thing that all actors do, you know, wander around this new space and listen to their, you know, their, uh, listen to their music and kind of, you know, go to art museums and stuff like that. Think, oh no, cool, it's cool. I, I have an office space for a month. You know, I get to, it keeps me, it mm. keeps me nimble and I get to utilize all parts of the career Buffalo move. Well, I just want to jump, jump in with two quick things before I lose the rabbit. Uh, first yeah. of all, you're, you were in my neck of the woods because I'm not too far from Princeton myself. So no shit, that movie theater rules. Princeton Garden? <laughs> Yes. Dude, Princeton yes, Garden's like one of the- Elm Street. What happened? They were playing Nightmare on Elm Street when I was there. I was like, oh my God, this place is incredible. Oh, yeah. And the, the real butter store. on the popcorn. Yeah, yeah. They actually ran the Batman because their uh, director of acquisitions did his thesis on Batman. Oh and he's God. like, yeah, this movie's so like neo-noir. So it fits the classic movie vibe we have here. Oh, that's uh, so cool. Oh man, I I owe you a drink if you're ever back here. Oh man, I'll come. Yeah, we we get her a spiced latte, whatever that killer coffee place is around the corner. Small world, 
Small yeah, world. Small World. Oh, that was great. Sarah Lynn and I had many a very hot latte there. Yeah, spicy, spicy. And also, uh, if if you are looking to sell this this scare me spinoff, I, I would like to recommend to you. Um, there's a streaming uh, network called Shutter. Uh, they they sound perfect for this sort of thing. I mean, I'm just I'm just really talking out of my hat here, but I'm gonna throw this back you to really Matthew. Are. How, how dare you take such a swing? They uh, they have they have indeed read it. They think uh, I think it was uh, Emily Gatto over there who I love dearly. Their their head of acquisitions who said it was like a quote unquote in, incredibly fun and bloody romp. So I'm hoping that one day it will indeed get made. It's got at least uh, at least three times as much blood as the first one, which wasn't a lot for number one. Well. Talking about bloody roms. Before I actually get into a lot of the blood of a wounded fawn, though, I do have to ask because obviously. When, you, when the film opens up, you're in the auction house and we get that full first shot of your face. You get that twitch in your eye. And I'm like, well, obviously that's planned. But then I'm like, well, well no, maybe maybe it's a happy accident. Maybe he actually just had a facial twitch and it just happened to work so well. What kind of what kind of deep dive into how twisted or damaged Bruce was did you go? That's an awesome question. I mean, the twitch was probably intentional. Once you once you get the suit on, and once you wear the bracelet, and once you're you know in the company of other actors and the cameras in your face, you know, uh, you kind of just got to relax and leave yourself open to you know whatever happening, happening. So I definitely I don't think I forced it, but I was probably like, oh, this this could be in Bruce's wheelhouse because there are twitches like there are glitches in the matrix he's wearing a mask you know he is a walking veneer he is a walking shell um hiding what he really is like hiding his you know his id so to speak his red owl uh if you will um i didn't do too much of a serial killer deep dive i mean for me the acting challenge was especially as someone who's come from comedy and would you know had always dreamed of playing a baddie like bruce um, and I got to do kind of, that's sort of why I sort of set up glimpses of that and scare me. Um, you know, it's more about playing grounded or playing seductive or playing masked, so to speak, like, you know, really living in those moments, like kind of, um, kind of being in control of my instrument in such a way that, you know, uh, I was keeping Bruce performative in a way that, you know, uh, many sociopaths are performative and hiding mm -hmm. their kind of innermost workings. Um, I loved playing that uh, because contrast to that mask, you then get to expose the nerve and play the pathetic version of it, the pathetic, vulnerable, exposed version of it. And so that's so cathartic, especially when you're skewering, you know, the types of guys that are entitled and egotistical and, you know, have have just a such a, a a massive um a massive head on their shoulders in the worst way uh i just just became so empowered and and stoked to um i guess to flay him and make fun of him you know yeah well so yeah, <laughs> so it's a, a better word. yeah well it's a funny thing because i think so many people i mean i'm not to be so obvious about it but like when you get to that turn you realize well he's you know his ego is the wounded fawn technically if for these for these type of people who exist out there it just becomes a whole new level of you know being able to enjoy something that you think is going to go one way and while it kind of does doesn't yeah i i couldn't have said it better myself and then i'm sure you know travis comes to you and you say well you're going to spend the last you know the whole end credits is going to be about five minutes of you wailing around uh, in some mud 
And you're like, you're you're like, yeah, sure, let's great, let's go for it. But is there a point now where like you're so into it that Travis is like, all right, cut. It's like, no, let's keep going. Let's, let's keep going. Let's do this. Oh no, Travis is a visionary madman, and he was he was as down for it as I was. And Sarah's Sarah is the same kind of mad person. Um, we were all so down. Like the way he puts it is like that being the tail end of the shoot. You know, you jammed with the band for all of your tour, and now you know by the end of the tour what your band is capable of. And so by that point, he was able to kind of go like hey, like Josh, it's your solo. And I know you can do it because I've seen, you know, so much of what you can do along the way. And so by the time we got to my quote unquote solo, the last 48 hours of shooting, and he said, let's just film all 11 minutes of the film cartridge on you doing this. Um, we were all like, fuck yeah. And, you know, everyone was all concerned. Well, aren't you going to be cold? And what about the rocks? And what about your prosthetic? And this, that, and the other thing. Or, you know, I was also like wearing a toga. What if your fiddly bits show? All that good stuff. Um, we were all just kind of down. So if anything, you know, there's probably four or five more minutes of it. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, because he, you know, he, he, there, it's just not an 11 minute credit sequence. Um, so, you know, if anything, we just, we were all just like, yeah, let's just keep going and going and going and going. I also just love that whole turn that Matthew is kind of alluding to here where for a good part of, part of act one, you're thinking this is going to be told in a certain viewpoint from a certain perspective. And yeah. then everything flips and there's the twist. And it's almost like that sort of psycho sort of misdirect. And then we're really focusing more on your character while others are still involved. Yeah, yeah. That's what I love about this film is, is, is also this kind of hopefully compliments your, your comment is, we all got to play two characters, you know, and you got to see everybody kind of do such a spectrum of stuff. It was just so great to be, you know, with this ensemble of these incredible women just like getting to do stuff they hadn't quite done before. Like Sarah got just went on and on about how magical it was to wear a mask and be like, you know, dressed with snakes. How often do you get to do that? You know, essentially to play a god. Um, and, you know, it's not often that I get to play, you know, vulnerably beaten by three of them. It's like a dark sort of horror Christmas carol without the holiday elements. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like, I mean, again, I, I just don't think there's a better way of phrasing it. It's Patrick Patrick Bateman at the Evil Dead Cabin, except that the, the deadites are the Furies. Like, how original is that? How fun is that? I just never would have thought in a million years we'd see anything like that. Well, talking about Evil Dead specifically then, I guess, because here in Overdue Rentals, we do love to talk about films that we feel not enough people talk about Emma anymore. And we know that you are a massive fan as well of Sam Raimi's Dark Man. Oh, and yeah. before we get into all of it, what give us your your background, your love, your connection with Dark Man? It was definitely one of the the early VHSs I was allowed to pop in the Zenith back in you know whatever it was 1991 um, when it was out on video and. You know, you look at the cover and you think it's going to be another Batman. You got to remember, Batman was out in '89, and we were all just kind of stoked on that. I think that's essentially why Raimi was able to kind of get it off the ground. This is going to be another Batman-esque kind of film. So there was the superhero angle, but I was also such a big Freddy Krueger fan. You know, Freddy's Nightmares was essentially, and Freddy himself was essentially a cartoon character, <clears throat> especially for a morbid little kid like me who just adored horror. And so there was something about that part of my lizard brain horror palette that was so enticed and so stimulated by wow i get the batman and i get the freddy 
I get the horror and I get the goons. I get the action and I get the scares. Like it just truly hit all sides of my brain. Like you got to understand, I'm a huge Batman fan. I love Batman. I think Batman uh, uh, year two is just as far. Like that was probably maybe my my first way into him. And there was a whole, I can't remember what it's called, like Demon Tales, but his like uh, Talia, um, uh, uh, Talia al Ghul kind of uh, tete-a-tete. Um, graphic novel. I mean, I read them too early to even understand, mm. especially the dark stuff when comics were so huge in the late 80s, early 90s, and the comic book store was like the place to go just as much as say the, the toy store. So anyway, Darkman was just, it was just the culmination of all things I, I couldn't quite, um, uh, I couldn't quite compute and was so happy to be overloaded with just goodness because it was, again, it was, wow, it is, it's horror Batman. That's what it is. And then as an older person, as a filmmaker, excited about, you know, the the possibility or at least like someone who dreams of making something of a, of a new Darkman someday or just taking that IP and just kind of playing in that world. Then you see as a filmmaker what thematically you can do, what it means to be someone who was likely vilified, even though he was a hero. He looked like uh, a, yeah. a villain. He looked like Freddy, but he was so well-meaning. He was driven to madness. He lived underground. He couldn't come out and show himself. He was going mad, and yet he longed and loved, uh, longed for and loved this woman. And, you know, the dude is driven out of town like Frankenstein, really, in the end, because of his ugliness. He thought he was, he's, he's, God, this is a movie about a dude who just doesn't feel like he's worthy of love. And he's got this kind of super strength, and he's sort of hideous and again going madder and madder so my sort of you know i know you didn't ask for this no, my scenario would be that that you know to get liam back and do a legacy sequel about you know having this uh what would he be like having gone madder and madder and more enraged but but sort of having to come out of uh of hiding well that's interesting that you say that because I, I was saying to mike just the other day as we were watching getting ready to talk to you that i'm like well if josh remakes it well, excuse me, when Josh, and I said a remake at that point, because like, I was like, he should do the ending the same, but instead of Bruce Campbell, it's Liam Neeson. <laughs> oh, I mean, my, I, uh, I probably sh shouldn't go too far into it, but I, I've, you know, I'll just say that we've come a long way from having to put Liam Neeson in a six hour makeup chair. Um, yeah. You even saw a piece of what you could do uh, not even with like, you know, Dolly AI, don't, let, don't get me started on how that's probably going to take over all of our jobs. But, um, uh, you know, Aaron Eckhart looked pretty damn good in, in uh, Dark Knight. And that was several years ago now. Um, yep. So you can imagine what we can do with nodes and CGI um, while mixing the great prosthetic, you know, in the work of um, the Tony Gardner. Uh, and um, I don't know, there's just so much fun to be had. And um, yeah, I... I, I I could go on and on. I mean, I think, you know, to you, you could, you could end uh, a Darkman trilogy with, or one of the Darkman, you know, the, the new Darkman movies, if there are to ever to be multiple movies by me or anyone else with a hint that he might um, fight the evil dead, which is, uh, which was uh, sort of hinted at in a, in a, in a, I think it was a Marvel run of comics. Yeah. I think it was like Darkman and Ash versus the evil dead or something created versus the army of the dead. And I was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> That'd be insane. Like they should absolutely find the Necronomicon at the end of like a, a Darkman movie. Like, can you imagine? 
well, Sam Raimi's been pretty open with those connect, or at least some people have been pretty open with those sorts of connections because back when they made Jason Goes to Hell, they yes. really wanted to connect that, and they had the Necronomicon in there, and all someone yeah, needed they, to do they was got ask. His permission. Yes, that's right. That's right. They got his permission. You know. I know they were gonna, and I know the Ash versus Jason versus versus uh, Freddy was supposed to be a thing, but you know we all know the stories behind that at this point. So, <sighs> unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, Josh, you pretty much answered a whole raft of questions I was going to badger you with anyway, because you're like, oh, you guys don't want this. It's like, um, no, I was going to ask, like a sequel to Reboot, Ignore 2 and 3, Neeson and McDormand. And it's like, no, no, he pretty much ticked all the boxes there. So, no, you're, you're giving us what we need here at Overdue Rentals. <laughs> I probably said too much, and yet I don't care, because if it doesn't get made, then at least we've had our time. Well, you know what? It's funny, that, but going talking about Darkman itself, and when, especially when it came out, like, Watching it now, too, I go like, oh, crap, Sam Raimi predicted uh, 3D printing. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yes, he did. That the, the, the MakerBot is essentially the same exact device. Can you believe it? It really is. I mean, it's like, well, you, you guys did it. You know, him and the production team, but it's like, wow, yeah, you nailed it. And that, that would be the one device that would have survived time, right? If this mm -hmm. dude couldn't go above ground or you know, would disguise himself to go up and kind of, you know, alter this thing. That that's his uh that's the core the core technology that keeps him going. What's also really awesome about what we've been riffing on here is the fact that you mentioned, yeah, this was basically universal trying to chase Batman because there this was that era where you had this, you had the shadow, you had the Rocketeer where everyone wanted that. But this is probably the closest that anyone got in terms of tone. And it really had me starting to ask a question that I'm surprised I didn't ask years ago. And that's the specific difference between Raimi and Burton, because they're in very similar sandboxes. And Darkman is yeah. pretty much the, the one film that really hammers home that sort of halfway point. Yeah, I mean, I think Burton is absolutely incredible. He's such a seminal part of my childhood. I mean, I popped on Edward Scissorhands for all 20 minutes the other day, just as we were putting up the Christmas tree. And I was like, just got pulled in all over again. And I remember being, you know, freaked out the first time you saw the shadow of Edward in the big house and Diane Weiss came upstairs. And, you know, even, even Barry Sonnenfeld's work with Adam's family, it was like that whole kind of world that felt sort of um, congruent was so exciting. But I think that the, the thing that Raimi has that Burton doesn't, even though Burton takes swings visually and is just in, in a different way, a visual genius, is Raimi is a madman. Um, he's a wonderful guy, um, but he he has a wickedness that he can bring out uh, of his works using his camera wildly and loosely in his work in a way that I think it, Burton might find um, he wants to utilize in a bit more tempered and a bit more um, uh, kind of say not clinical of a manner, but more artfully, you could say, as a man uh, of a manner. Well, Sam is like, let's experiment and experiment and experiment. At least, you know, OG Ramey. I think producer Ramey, maybe maybe it's different. Maybe that's kind of the vibe he's sort of trying to preach to um, to the folks he's you know um, uh, mentoring and such. But uh, I think that's the difference is there is a wildness and a looseness that allows him, that gives him that legendary kind of DNA, the way that with Burton, it's like there's a meticulous um, artistic flair that gives Burton his leg up. 
you, you know, you, you, you know exactly when you see a Tim Burton character, when you see, you know, the, the, those lanky limbs and grinning face and whatever it is. It's also funny because in, in the idea of Darkman being like this other version of Batman in a lot of ways, uh, and even though it's, uh, it's going to move over into Marvel at this point, what, even though I can't go back and open up a history book and tell you for sure, the fact of the matter is, is that because of Darkman, I don't think you have the MCU the way it is today. Because Raimi's success with Spider-Man is what, even though it was years later, is what started this new pressure for all these Marvel movies to come out. And I don't think Raimi gets yeah. Spider-Man without Darkman. I, I agree. Yeah, I, I, you know, I bet there was a conversation with like, well, you know, what, whatever that whatever that was, I'm sure so many different directions were pitching on the film at the time. Um, what makes you think Rainey can do it? And it's like, well, wait a minute, he did it way earlier than anybody else. Even look at the action in Army of Darkness, and you think like the dude made a medieval epic. He made Braveheart with skeletons, you know, and it's <laughs> and it's and, and there and it's chock full of Spider-Man baddies or comic book baddies if you want to go that far in comic book moments. Um, the original Spider-Man, like his Spider-Man, I want to say the trilogy, they weren't all great, but sure. that, that that number one was just outrageously good. I remember seeing one and two so many times in the theaters. I mean, how how just incredible was that experience, you know? And and you can, his flair was all over it. I mean, come on. I was going to say, but the, by the fact also, when he made Darkman, think of how many people want to make their own superheroes that are not based on an original IP he's probably the only person successfully do it and do it well and do it where it matches kind of you would have expected he lifted this specifically from an actual comic or or or, or tv show previously but no he did it and he did it well he really did yeah he did it uh he did it immensely and then for a little while i mean this was a franchise it was a healthy franchise there were tie-in books there was the the yeah. comic books like you said and then there are the two sequels that came after it too which i know they were more that was universal in the early days of direct-to-video but i'll just flat out admit it right now i like both of them i mean the fact that you can get today the i want to say they're 4k uh uh prints of them um certainly the blu-ray like trilogy you can buy it's pretty rad the fact that like you know i mean i know the vinyl is not inclusive of the sequels but you know they went back in and an artist made the kind of quote-unquote comic book cover versions of all three and they just i don't know it's exciting they, they, the thing that's alive and well you know rob tapper would be the first to tell you like number two and three made money like you can imagine how much money they made in the era of vod mm. um or in the era of uh of video rental when you when you walk into the you know you walk into your local video store and you see part two and part three of a secure movie i definitely rented them way back when on vhs um and i'm sure i loved them at the time too i did pop on i think it was part two for all of five minutes the other day, or like I say the other month, and I was like, wow, they used so much of part one in this kind of montage to recap. And it's like so clearly Liam Neeson with Arnold Bosley voiceover, which is very funny. Yeah, I mean, I remember, I think it was USA that I spot, because obviously yes. it, was universe, it was the Universal Pipeline where all the Universal movies like, that's where I saw Child's Play 2 for the first time. That's where I saw yeah. the Darkman sequels. Yeah. And also, slight sidetrack, Darkman, like Child's Play 2 has that wonderful like early 90s universal texture to it. Like it was, I don't know what it is about yeah. it, but it was so inherent to universal movies that the, the the images had these sorts of 
this visual texture to it, and I, I it's gonna bug me if I never figure it out. Yeah, like if that's that's really really well said. You're you're t totally bang on. Like it makes me wonder if like Doctor Giggles was a Universal movie. You know, right? yeah, <laughs> Doctor Giggles. Totally it was. Probably. Yeah, yeah. There you go. It was like, oh wow, there's like something about the anamorphic large format film. I'm just kind of throwing technical jargon in the and pulling it out of my ass. But there's just something probably about the way that like like Netflix has their tech specs. Universal probably did too. There was probably a piece of that got to shoot on this stock maybe yeah. or maybe they use yeah. the same kind of i don't know camera crew something like that and it feels feels kind of similar just like you go back and you watch a paramount movie from the 90s like you pulled days of thunder or adam's family or yeah pops like it just it almost felt like studios had their own look and it probably you're probably right it's probably the stock and the development that they went through i'm sure it was yeah you know they probably did it all on the lot or or you know close enough to and um yeah i it, it's exciting to it's exciting to to i don't know, think about that in terms of like today it's like you know the closest kind of thing i can cop it to beyond the netflix of it all is how cinematographers now have their own luck you know the whole thing about working with a certain DP, they call it a LUT. It's like their sort of um, calibration of the camera to, you know, bring their own kind of style and look to it. And it's like it's like having a, a, a starter uh, uh, for bread. You know, it's like the ma your magic ingredient for your own starter you can't tell anybody about. It's, it's similar. similar uh, yeah, that's my that's my thing with Netflix too. I mean, because I get it, I get what they're what they're doing, but it's like on one hand it's like great they're they seem to be giving uh, uh creators freedom not to say we're back in the 70s director's era but they're they're giving them freedom but like there are stipulations to join into that i'm like where does which one which one's better good product but maybe not look, looking the way i wanted it to look who knows yeah no I, I totally agree that just reminds me of the time someone had mentioned the story about i think it was on the set of the ballad of buster scruggs someone had said Oh, well, we're not paying too much attention. People are just going to watch it on their phones anyway. Oh, oh man. What or it might have been another movie, movie. That one was. Like, damn. Well, I, Mike, you may be referring to, and I got confused by this too, because I talked to Terry Gilliam when he made Zero Theorem, and he made a comment about how, oh, we did a special shooting of it, so it'll look better on your phone screen. And then when I talked to him for The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, he's like, no, that was my joke I made. I never did that. Oh, thank God. Yeah. Thank God. God bless him. He's, he's like, he's, like he, he's, he's one of these people very, you know, it's like, we went to the movies to be bathed in this image. And now yeah. the fire is just like a match we're holding in our hand instead. I can't remember what his comment was, but it's something along those lines. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. And it is kind of sad to think that if Darkman was originating today, it would probably be a streaming exclusive. And even if it went to theaters, even if they negotiated with the big theaters, uh, they, they would probably only let it go for a week and say, we don't, we don't really, you know, we're not too someone, concerned. Someone has some glass onion, uh, uh, hate here, not hate for the movie, but the release hate for how it was rolled out because that movie could have, it, 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 it's, 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 it's a group experience. It should be. Yeah. I think it did. Uh, I haven't seen it yet. I think we might watch a screener of it tonight criminally because we, we didn't take advantage of the, uh, the Alamo run, but, uh, the theater run, but you know, um, uh, I think they're re-releasing it uh, in might. some weeks because it did so well. You know, it's like, of course you should. And this is why Amazon is exciting. I know it's a tangent, but that Amazon note about them putting, what, next year a billion dollars into theatrical. Mm. Like, that's that's awesome. Like, and even if it, 
If it means a couple of Tomorrow War sequels, it's like if you're making the effort to not go directly streaming to get people to come out. You know, I I went to I had the the extremely incredible experience of going to the film festivals this past year for Wounded Fawn and for Blood Relatives, both like Fantastic Fest and Beyond Fest. All week the the theaters were jammed. Yep. The lines were around the block. People want to see stuff. People were lined up around the block for Hellraiser, the same they were for Wounded Fawn, the same they were for for Sick from Kevin Williamson and John Hines, which is fucking amazing. You guys will love that. Um Ooh. people want to go see movies. People want to go, you know, they filled the American Cinematheque, you know, um and Los Feliz Three and and um, you know, theaters all over. So the Alamo was jammed in Texas and you know, Tribeca was jammed. People were, you know, lining up on the Second Avenue Theater, you know, the street outside the Second Avenue Theater to see the actors and, you know, buy tickets. It's people still want to go. I think that the problem is it's um, you know, not to get on soapbox, it's just the issue of the you know, the price, the 21 22 bucks plus parking plus this that and the other thing it's, you know for all 10 bucks again i think it'd be different but yeah how the places stay open well yeah and also you have the indie theaters that are not only better but their repertory programming which drives the need and creates the demand but also yeah. again back to what we were saying before real butter on the popcorn can, can that's yeah. literally something that my wife will say okay if we're gonna go to a movie here i want to go because they do the real butter there and it's like a little touch Truly. but it's so Truly. comforting and it's part of it i think theaters need to go back to thinking of it as an experience more than just a utility that's absolutely right that's beautifully said that's beautifully said which is why i love and i follow so many like home theater accounts on instagram including my own you know shout out to woodstock uh new york's tinker street theater and they have a new a new owner, then they're basically curating films you know not only the you know the new releases but they're doing like kind of um they're doing 35 millimeter print nights of batman returns and elf and you know critters and critters vampiros lesbos and documentaries i mean super obscure shit big stuff i mean it's really really cool like that kind of thing and people go and they yeah. they also don't charge 22 bucks and you look at like i think what in all of a few months ago there was two dollar movie day internationally or nationally and, and every couldn't get in to see one movie it was jammed <laughs> Well, that was around the same time Top Gun Maverick was out too, so that didn't help anything. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I mean, Kevin Smith now has his own theater where he does like he just did a. I think he he's doing a film festival right now in Matthew. Uh, former wow. guest and friend of ours, uh, Siobhan Fallon Hogan, premiered uh, Shelter. Oh, is it out? Then. Oh. Then. Didn't know. That's rad. That's so cool. Yeah, you know, like it's like just like you said, Josh, it's like talking about people going to the theater during those festivals. It's not just during festivals, too. I think even though there's still plenty of, and I don't not trying to sound ageist here or anything like that, but like younger audiences that are still just like I I, I know somebody in my office that every time we talk about something, like, oh, is it on Netflix? And if it's not, it just doesn't matter. Um, but people surprisingly, even though that may not be showing because they're spending it for a certain movie that they didn't want to see, but people want to go to the theater. That's great. They really do. Again, yeah. Think about that dollar movie day. Think about how you couldn't even get in to see the most obscure, uh, say, least desirable showing at 11 a.m. And it was jammed. That is how my wife and I saw The Invitation and fucking loved it. Yeah, there you go. Natalie Emanuel <laughs> doing some horror, man. Hell yeah. <laughs> oh, man. it's. I still need to check the unrated cutout because that was... 
you could see where they were towing the line with the PG-13 because that movie is horny as hell. Yeah, I want to. I want to see that. You know, I was curious about that because I love her, and I also think it's like that. Um, the 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 non-prohibitive cost issue, a prohibitive cost taken out of the equation, it makes it more enjoyable because you're going, hey, we're only spending a couple bucks, and sure, it's like eleven o'clock on a Tuesday or whatever it is. It becomes kind of a moment. Hey, let's just pop it. In. The same way you'd be like, yeah, let's pop it into an art gallery. It's the yeah. same thing. It's it's a donation, you know, but it's an experience. It's the same thing with you know with movies. Well, that's where that's where like I I'm not trying to go backwards completely here now too, but that's my whole thing with what they screwed up when they did the whole tenant release. Like I know Christopher Nolan's against streaming and all this other stuff, but at the time, especially since movie theaters make their money off of the concessions, what they should have done is yeah. sold it at the time for forty bucks. 40 bucks bought you the movie to watch that day, but it also automatically gave you a ticket for when theaters reopened so you could see it on a big screen. People would have done it and it would have helped save things a little earlier and got us to a better place, even though, again, that luckily we are now at a place where people are going to the theater. Yeah, yeah. Oh, go on. Oh, no, it's just a green. Yeah, if you told me I could have gotten an IMAX ticket when I I did that pre-purchase, I would have done it because... I am really mad I didn't get to see that one in the, I think that was one of a 70 millimeter release. And whenever Nolan does that, I'll go. And they didn't, they didn't do it. So even though they had it in certain places and if there was a drive through New York, you could see it, but here in New York City, couldn't see it. Damn. But anyway. What we're saying, bring Dark Man back to theaters. Yes. <laughs> I agree. Oh my God. Can you imagine if there was like a, why hasn't there been a screening? I'll introduce it. Come on, American Cinema Tech. Let's oh. go, Arrow. Oh, okay. So, so maybe this is just me being a little greedy in East Coast. No, uh, yeah. We get Princeton Garden to do Dark Man. Hell yeah! I'll come out. That'd be incredible. We're, we're gonna we're gonna talk life. to some people everywhere, and we're gonna we're gonna get this done. Plus the fact that again, we're not just saying it because we're talking to you. We really, I deep in my heart know. And again, this is especially after what brilliance you did in making Werewolves Within. There's going to be a Josh Rubin Dark Man, and. When that day comes, I'm going to be a happy person. I uh, I really appreciate the fandom. I, I um and the and the uh, the 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 cheer cheering sideline um the sideline cheering because I I need it and I want it too. And it's like every every bit of the playground I want to play in. I think my 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 psychic flash is that it will be closer to reality when I have a theatrical hit. You got to remember, I I put out two movies back to back during COVID. So people were still pretty scared to go, scared to go to the movies when Werewolves came out. And yet Werewolves just released even in South Korea, which is crazy to think. I had somebody reached out to me from Busan to say that it played so well and the theater was packed and all this good stuff. I'm convinced that if it came out October 1 and you, you had an alternative to Smile, let's say, on the heels of Bodies, Bodies, Bodies and Barbarian, that if you also had that, you could take your like teenage nieces and nephews or whatever. I think it would have done pretty well, you know? I think people would have been like, what's that? Because also, you got to think the marketing, too. is like, that title's so good. Just like yeah. Barbarian, the title's just fun to look at, you know, at the very, very least for our, our lizard brains. We're like, let's go. Why not? But even even with Werewolves Within not getting that big theatrical release, in essence, even though it did show in at least some theaters, what I think's great about it, too, is that it did not, and I'm not just talking about mine because it did show up on mine, but there are people who put it on their top 10 years of the top 10 movies of the year list. It got yeah. the press, so it just more people need to be able to pay attention. It truly did. Now, I, I, I can confidently say as a fan of Clue and Tremors, 
um, that in 10 years' time, even if it's a bit longer than that, I mean, let's go back even further to Monster Squad 2. And someday there's going to be some rad fan screening of werewolves and people will dress up as everyone from, you know, Finn and Cecily to, to Gwen and Marcus and just like come out and ask questions and we'll do the thing right. You know, it was it was kind of a soft opening to a degree. Um, but I, I'm confident that movie is going to age pretty well. It's a rad thing about doing genre movies too, is people will, especially like these last two movies I did that happen in winter time, people are just like inclined to put it on for the, you know, spooky season, so to speak. And then it has this rewatchability factor, which is, you know, the kind of dream, but then it's like, Ooh, it's, it's getting cold outside. Let's pop this thing on. Let's, let's transport ourselves the way you might want to, you know, transport to Italy watching White Lotus or something. <laughs> And now I would even recommend that people rewatch Werewolves Within, preparing for Glass Onion, because I would say it's it is definitely in that wheelhouse of, as you said, it is it is very much a clue movie. It is the most clue movie I've seen since Clue, not counting Knives Out. Oh man, thank you. Yeah, I mean, you know what's crazy is we had. I mean, this is also the testament to the power of Ubisoft. We were able to hire the trailer team um, who did Ready or Not, which was a banging trailer um yes. one of the first movies in a while i remember telling my girlfriend at the time now my wife was like we have to see this movie because the trailer is just so rad uh and then the poster folks i think the company's called bond uh no i'm gonna i think they're bond creative they did the poster for knives out so they had all these incredible poster for posters for werewolves a few of which i i think i've i've put out um in in recent uh recent years or the recent year just like the the different iterations of them they just had such great options you know um and they're just so creative and that that marketing was just that's immense in putting the thing out there but of course it's a, it's a team effort you know your dp's got to turn on his amblin thinking cap your actors have to be as funny as they are scary and, and onward and onward and onward josh thank you so much for your time it's fantastic having you here and again next time we'll just have more to talk about anyway so can't oh, wait. yeah, absolutely. Such a pleasure. And great, great questions. Thank you so much, Warm. Really refreshing. Thank you, sir. Stay safe. Doors always open. Uh, you too, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks. Take care. Josh Rubin, thank you. Yeah, so, so, someone so had to jump in because if you were waiting for me, I was probably still going to sit here like a stunned bird because <laughs> that was just... Uh, I mean, if if any, I, I I don't think anyone needs us to, to tell them this, but that was just a fantastic You know what? I feel weird as sometimes being that person who is like being very complimentary to a guest because I don't want to make it feel like we're we're just here just to pump up their ego because that's not what we do. But I really have such a fondness for what he pulled. Again, not I don't want to take away from what he's done in the past. And I'm talking about all the way back to college humor. But to talk about what he pulled off with werewolves within, first of all, is just like, and I, we talked about this when we when we had Harvey on to talk about it. But like that movie is, and I'm not trying to try and compare him to other people too, but like that's almost an Edgar Wright movie in a lot of ways too. Like, oh yeah, there's a, so many smart things going on in that film, and I'm not going to go over it too much again because we did have that episode and we have other things to talk about. But I, I have to praise him for it, and um, I just I know, and I and again, I'm not trying to like will it into. Oh, I am trying to will it into existence, but I'm not trying to be just happy to be happy for it but like there's gotta be there's no way he's not going to get eventually to be able to do his dark man i don't i don't see it 
Okay, so I'm just going to address both of those points because I love them. Um, I I was kind of worrying too because I, I again, this is a movie that is near and dear to our hearts because not only was it a good movie, it's one of our early episodes and one yes. of the early things that we really got to cover that we were passionate about. Because, you know, we'll give, this is the overdue rentals, rental counter. Everything gets a fair shake. We try to look at the good and everything. We may not be overwhelming fans at times, but it's still, okay, I like Speed Racer. Matthew may not be a huge Speed Racer fan. I don't remember if you are or not, but You have it right. But still, it's it's like, okay, I'm not a fan of X. Co-host is a fan of X. I can still see some good. I can still see why this is overdue. And I think that's sort of something that's missing when it comes to a lot of discourse over these things, especially when people get entrenched in something that they really like. And it's like, instead of saying, oh, well, you know, I don't know. I mean, you don't, you like it for this reason? No, it's supposed to be for this reason. Get out of here. No, you're supposed to be opening and saying, okay, I may not like your movie, but you know what? I, I like to say it's for someone because I'm sitting there and I know I'm going to be someone someday. And I would rather someone look at me and say, you know what? I may not have liked it, but at least it's for someone and I can, I, I dig your enthusiasm. So that's with, when it comes to werewolves within and, and just Josh himself, like, I don't yeah. think we were, I don't think we were unjustified with our reaction because this really is just an exciting moment. And it's, I'm trying to think of the second part that I was. Yeah. Doing. I apologize. Yeah. Sorry. That's okay. But <laughs> But that's that, that's that's a, also a good thing to to mention about Josh himself because, yes, he ma- he makes scare me and and you know and you see him in these things and he comes here for wounded fawn and he's not at all and you know from the get go he's not a good person and he does some horrible things, but for Bruce, his, not Josh Rubin, yes, Br- the character of Bruce, but Josh Rubin is such a f- I don't want to say f- I don't know fun loving is the right way to say it because I don't know maybe I don't know you know. He may not go out person. and hang out and like you know like be the the life of the party, but he's still a, a fun, personable, lovely person. So being able to get to see him do these non-Josh Rubin performances, and I, you, you know what I mean. I'm not saying like yes, completely think, opposite from from who he is as a person in real life is really fascinating. No, yeah, and another thing that I will say about Wounded Fawn, and this is no sponsorship, but oh, would we love a sponsorship? Um. I love the fact that there is a place like Shudder where these movies can sure these movies can be nurtured, but also it feels like there's such a community of creators that are that love to come back and work with each other on these things because Noah Sagan has Blood Relatives, which he wrote and directed, and I believe Josh is starring in that as well. Mm-hmm. And then Josh obviously had Scare Me as a previous hit with Shudder, which blew people's faces off. Yep, and helped also bring more. Uh, attention to Aya Cash, who then would go on and just break out even more with the boys. And I still remember from Wolf of Wall Street, just being a fucking firecracker of hell and just love seeing her get to be, take charge and sort of have that moment because of these projects. But there really does seem to be a, this really does seem to be solidifying like the good, at least for what I'm saying, the good in the horror community. And also just Fangoria still being around uh, and now Screenbox looks like they're coming to to play because they got Terrifier too. Yep. Like this really, I forget who said it on Twitter and whoever wants to tell me that they said it and I read it, it, it might've been someone from Bloody Disgusting, I forget, but someone had said horror is one of the most reliable genres when it comes to film. And we've been seeing so much proof of that this year. We, so yeah, we talked about it recently, yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, I still need to see smile. I, I am uh, smile is one of the big reasons I want to renew my Paramount subscription because I, I, I still want to see it. No, I, I'm saying, uh, yeah. I mean, well, I won't go too far into that, but that's definitely one that I think uh, was not really uh, as good as it could have been. It's not that it's not, it's not that it's not good. And I won't, we won't go too far into it. And we'll talk about this after Mike, but yeah, a lot of people already say it and it's true. It's kind of an amalgamation of two other movies, but the fact that, it is a movie that deals with, you know, like like it should, real life mental health situations after we've already had some other films that have done it so well. I think Smile is a letdown in that case. And see, that's, see, that's, once I see it, we should, maybe we should. We, we'll, have a, we'll, we'll have a discussion about it, yeah. Maybe a big 2022, like, look back episode. Yeah, I, ooh, guys. We're coming up with things on the spot, but we really should. Oh man, just just like Peyton Westlake came up with that magnificent synthetic skin, we have come up with an episode that I really would love us to tackle. Dark Man, it was something that, and I, I know people are probably sick of hearing it. And like, I don't know if you're sick of hearing it because it came out when I was about ten years old, and it came out on video when I was about eleven years old, let's say, or maybe I was still ten. So it was at that time where my father was very much, you know, like. He was. He had already introduced me to Evil Dead. Uh, well, Evil Dead Two at that time, because actually it was harder to get Evil Dead One at that point, and I'm probably too young maybe for Evil Dead One. But he had already shown me Evil Dead Two, and I was obsessed with the Coen Brothers already at that point with Raising Arizona and and watching some other things. And so like the whole Sam Raimi connection came back in, and like my father wanted to see it because he knew about you know he loved Sam Raimi, he loved Evil Dead Two, and it was like let's watch this, and we rented it and we watched it, and it's like it's so good, it's just so amazing. I'm not sick of hearing you say that because I may not have talked about it as much on the show, but because of my father, yeah. I have seen so many different things because of my father, I became a James Bond and a star Wars fan because of him having all the, he had, the, I may have talked about this with us because of the fact that he had the video discs machine. And that was how Muppet movie and airplane became ingrained in my head as a kid. Yeah. And like just these massive, this massive movie collection my father built on top of taking me to the rental store and letting me rent Peanuts tapes. So Charlie Brown became a big thing for me. I, I think a lot of people that listen to us and a lot of people that are just passionate about film are probably in the same boat as us. And I will even mention uh, The Fablemans. I love that opening scene. I haven't seen it yet. There's the opening scene of The Fablemans where it's Paul Dano and Michelle Williams explaining to the young son, it's not a spoiler maybe you again for me i don't want i want to experience things fresh personally so i'm gonna you can keep talking about it, but cover my ears anyway well matthew <laughs> covers his damn ears they explain to their son what a movie is and the way that a movie is explained through a script that steven spielberg co-wrote about his own life and then directed like just it had me tear up a little bit because it reminded me of why movies are something that are really special yeah no i mean look uh i can't so i can't i can't talk about it though since i haven't seen it so i, I don't know how to respond directly to it as as a piece of, of 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 filmmaking but but what we can talk about is the fact that dark man looks absolutely beautiful right now because i rented it i rented it on youtube to watch it and it looks sharp and crisp and like i i i, I it's probably partially because of the fact that shout factory did do like a big, I think they did a restoration and like, and I know, I know they released it as like a single title, 
and had like, you know, the typical special features and everything. And then, you know, two and three are still on Blu-rays, but it's not like as feature heavy as, you know, the first one, obviously. Yeah. But what I find interesting about Darkman in general, too, is because, again, Liam Neeson wasn't the biggest star at this point. He still people knew who he was. Yeah. Schindler's List hadn't come out yet. Um, I don't even think Next to Kin had come out yet. Yeah, so it's like, it's one of these things where even then somehow, like if you look at his career now and then you go back to it, you're like, why would, not, I mean, it's a great movie, but it's like almost like people's like, why would Liam Neeson make that kind of thing almost in a lot of ways? Uh, but yeah. like, that was such a, because when, when the whole Taken thing came about and he's like, well, Liam Neeson's now an action star. I was like, well, apparently people have never seen Darkman. People have never seen Kroll. <laughs> I mean, those those aren't as action heavy as like true, the, true, the movies, but, but still, still, he did have a pedigree of, you know, he was kicking around in a whole bunch of stuff. Again, I just mentioned next to Kim, where he plays Patrick Swayze's brother in the South. Yeah, but look, I mean, like people forget that he was the love interest in Leap of Faith for for Deborah Winger. You know, it's like there were so many, or was it was it what's oh, what's that movie Satisfaction, where he's the band manager. And sat, what was that 1988 though Satisfaction? I can't even remember. Was he in the Deadpool too with uh, Clint Eastwood? But that was like that was like more like early role kind of thing where like he's just in the background, right? I can't remember. I thought it's he so... was like I don't know, but I think he was. I think that was Jim Carrey that was more background. Well, Jim Carrey, but yeah, but Jim Carrey was 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 on was on screen though, like as as a character, right? I think Liam Neeson was like the heavy in the Deadpool, or I could be wrong. I am I am trying to find uh, this filmography to look through right now, but it's, go there we go. Uh, because I actually it's so he's in so much stuff you forget. Wow, Patricia Clarkson was in the Deadpool. Uh, he was in the Deadpool. Yeah, he had a character name and everything. It's true. Yep, yep. He played Peter Swan. He was in High Spirits. I don't remember him in High Spirits. I bear. I have never seen it. But I know of High Spirits, but I didn't know. Yeah, I mean, it's not a good movie, but you know, uh, as a well. as a kid, I watched it. And I was obsessed with it. But yeah, I I don't know if anybody's. I don't know if Mike have ever shown you this, and uh, maybe we'll put up a little video and people can share it. But I was interviewing Liam Neeson for Cold Pursuit, and. uh you know, at the time, this was for Denna Geek, and Denna Geek used to like me to do the first five where I'd ask uh, oh. actors if they can name their first five IMDb credits. And I always would open it up with saying, you know, because now people are so used to you uh, after taking those, they think this is this is like, this is how you exist in their minds. For me, I go back and I if I see your face, the first thing I think about is a movie like Crawl and his face just like cr cr crumbles up like in a cringe, like, oh, Oh no, he put up oh, like the greatest thing. I, I have a screenshot of the moment I say crawl to him, and his face was like, Oh, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, well, well, I, I made Liam Neeson happy by asking him twice about his naked gun movie, and oh, he and he just he lights up whenever he talks about airplane because he loves that movie to death. And then in my what in I think it was for Ice Road. I, in the interview, he looks at me, he's like, don't call me Shirley. And I'm just sitting there just like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but look, I mean, I, along with saying that, though, I say crawl, but then Darkman comes out, too, because that was actually, again, that the sat movie Satisfaction, I, I I was obsessed with when I was a kid, too. Um, was it called Satisfaction? I don't even see it listed here in his filmography now. Yes, Satisfaction. Oh, it is Satisfaction, but it came out. I thought it came out around the same time as Kroll. Uh, it was like five years later. Um like that was my childhood. Like he started a lot of my childhood. Um, these those movies again that we talk about all the time that were on HBO. So it was Crawl Satisfaction. Um, you know, ultimately, Bob Roy. yeah. Well, 
these are the films that like you know kind of like pref- you know, prescient right when I was getting into this stuff. So like this is somebody that I've been following for the longest time. So when when he does get nominated um, for Schindler's List, it's like people are like they think they're discovering him. It's like no, I, I mean I saw Leap of Faith last year too. He was in that before this, you know. Um, so it was, it was an interesting thing to watch. Yeah, sorry, well, see, I went off on a tangent there. That's okay. That's just a subjective lens of discovery because people think they've discovered someone. It's like well, if you were looking, yeah. You were looking close enough. You would have discovered them. The people who really discovered them are the ones who gave them that opportunity and said, yes. I've seen you before. I, I think you're great. I mean, Martin Campbell got golden eye after making No Escape. Which we, we, we still have to figure that out because we talked about that multiple times. We have to get the No Escape-ish uh, com- um, episode with, with oh. Martin Campbell on here somehow. Oh, I would love for Martin Campbell to come in and talk about, talk about anything, really. I mean... Mask of Zorro probably still has is, is still obscure enough that you could talk about it, but yeah. yeah but I don't think people have seen No Escape. So people have seen Mask. Of, I, 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 uh, there we go, folks. I don't mean to. I don't mean to like keep bringing this up, but surprisingly, uh, that the Mask of Zorro is now all of a sudden in the past two weeks, YouTube movie reacting people have Mask of Zorro up. I don't give a fuck. Whoa. Especially, I, mean, I, I know, I probably, like, the past couple of weeks, I think one of the reasons might have been, uh, I will shout out a good dear friend and journalist, Chris Killian, talked to Antonio Banderas about who he would want to bring in as, like, the yes. next Zorro. I saw so that, that yeah. And then Antonio Banderas himself liked it. And we need to get Chris on here, too. Yeah, but um, wasn't, wasn't, his, wasn't his option, like, somebody who was not a, of Latin descent? It was Tom Holland. Tom Holland, got, that's right, yeah. Then you've got Danny Ramirez from Top Gun Maverick, who's like, sign me up, I'll do it. And I'm just thinking, yes. Appro- like it, 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 like a racially appropriate casting. Dude is great in Top Gun. Dude's great in No Exit, which came out this year and streamed. And dude was even great in Falcon and Winter Soldier. And he's, you know, still in the, he's still in the MCU world. And then he's got, we should get Danny Ramirez on here. I just want to get everybody on this show. <laughs> Let's let's though before we before we start name dropping more people to bring on the show. Back to Dark Man. <laughs> Back to Dark, Dark, Man. Dark Man on the show. Which was again like just just like Josh was talking about like you know I'm sh- even though you don't even get to see his whole face when it's in its disgusting true Dark Man form it's always covered in some bandages the 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 stuff you had to go through that to get it done is just like probably at the time was just so irritating and so awful and. Oh, who knows if he maybe thought that was, you know, like this, this is going to make me the big star I am. And it maybe, maybe it did. Who knows? Um, but yeah, like nowadays it would be easier, but even who cares? Like I actually would rather have somebody be willing to sit in the chair because they know what they're going to make is so wonderful. And like, they'll, they'll, they'll suffer through it. I honestly don't think it would be that. Pa- I don't know if it'd be that painful to do it prosthetically still. No. I would think that, you know, I, I, I would, hope and think that Liam Neeson would still and probably Josh would want to still do it prosthetically but even if they had to do like mocap you probably Universal would probably spend the money on a good mocap de-aging like new Indiana Jones style de-aging because I don't want to de-age him I don't want to de-age him I think the whole point I'm sorry I I, I misspoke I didn't mean to say de-aging I meant like the the effect of Peyton's face like the disfigurement (sighs) Which, it's, if if we're doing legacy sequel, you could imagine what his face looks like now. Yeah, like, I mean, Peyton Westlake's face by now would be like, unless he, 
has some sort of like reagents or, or a regimen that keep that maintains like these, these are so many of the questions that I'm sure Josh is Josh may listen to this episode I really hope he does he'll probably listen to this and think oh no maybe I did give them too much shit 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 no no I take it back I take it back yeah. I won't do it again forget everything you heard here people except for the important parts and no, no don't forget it because we need to talk about it because again it's like Darkman really was, like, if you think about it, because, again, I, I know we said it when we talked to Josh, but you think about how, yes, there were going to be Batmans because the Tim Burton Batman succeeded. Oh, But yeah, until, until we hit Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, there was a certain level of not knowing what kind of success these things could do. And not saying that they're the same movie, but if you do watch Spider-Man next to Darkman, they're, they're very similar. Now, Mike, you're making a face as if what I said was just wrong. I'm going to politely disagree because Batman was still a juggernaut. No, oh. Batman was, was Batman was a juggernaut, but Batman but they was were still making comic the... booky. Was very was 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 very gimmicky True. in a lot of ways. True, but they were still making those movies yes. right up to Batman and Robin was the one that really spurred Spider-Man's approach and really spurred Spider-Man's revival. Because let's not forget, if it wasn't for Sam Raimi and the team that were on there, we were going to get. James Cameron, Spider-Man. Oh, that thing, that thing's a mess. Arnold yeah. Schwarzenegger as Doc Ock, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in the running for Spider-Man, and some really interesting choices. Yeah, but I need to get my hands on that. Script. I'll, I'll, I'll link. Uh, hopefully, I'll link in the description of this. So everybody can watch. There's a great old uh, episode of Obsessive Pop Culture Disorder by uh, Dan O'Brien on Cracked back when he was on there that goes through the the Sam the the, uh, the James Cameron version of Spider-Man. Everybody must watch that. But the thing is, again, whether or not Batman's a success, Marvel tries to make Howard the Duck, fails. They have, the, cool. they have the Roger Corman Batman. Fantastic Four thing floating out there somewhere, which failed. They didn't have the success in their world at that point at all. If I'm not mistaken, Howard the Duck was before Batman. But no, I'm was... talking about Marvel. That's what I'm saying. I'm, okay. I'm mentioning all Marvel. Right. I'm saying Marvel's version of trying to make movies out of their things and doesn't also... exist really because they failed. And so Rainy Spider-Man is what spurred on them being able to kind of say, we got cash here, let's do something. Again, okay. even though the plans that are here now did not uh, did not appear for, for much longer after that. Well, not much longer, but it took a while. But Rainy Spider-Man looking at Darkman, and even though he had Danny Elfman do Darkman, was the, and it was the very Batman-esque kind of score that he still did, they're very similar films in a lot of ways. Not saying they're the same film at all, but and again, Raimi has his style, but it, it just transfers so well. I do have a quick counter before I launch into compliment that other point. Uh, X-Men was probably... True. That was 2000, true. so that was like Marvel's big... Very true, but I think, I think the success of, Sp of Spider-Man put the seed in their mind for what ultimately became MCU. I'm still going to go with X-Men, but that's fair enough. Fair enough. Agree to disagree. However, I will agree with you in the fact that you watched- well, When year did X-Men come out? Was it 2000? Well, 2000, yeah. yes. 2000, okay. Yeah, and Spider-Man was, Spider was 2002. Yes. Okay, got it. In fact, I have a good friend who wrote a book about this. Uh, I'll, I guess I'll throw a quick plug in there for friend slash boss, Sean O'Connell, who wrote With Great Power. A uh, big story about, you know, Spider-Man and the cinematic universe that came from that. But I don't mean to. I don't mean to. Hold on to your point that you want to make about what I said too. But I will because I do have a counter as well. Because again, yes, X Men, very popular. 
big box big box office success, but X Men catered itself to our generation, which was able to get the animated series, which meant a lot to us. Where Spider Man was like Batman, like Superman, and I don't even know if I can name right now you another Marvel uh, superhero that everybody around the world knew your parents who didn't know comic books or were never into that kind of thing or fan, whatever you want to say, they knew Spider-Man. They didn't know X-Men, which is why I think the, the success of Spider-Man was so important. That's all I'm saying. They knew X-Men because of the cartoon and the, the book. No, not the, they did. My father didn't know fucking know what the fuck X-Men <laughs> is. But he Spider-Man is. The generation that we were at at that point is the generation that most. Yeah, no, RJ. Yes, I understand that, but. There's, there's, and there was still the Spider-Man animated series that also did the same thing as the fucking X-Men series. The X-Men that was not as popular and good as the X-Men. But I, I'm talking about good, I'm talking about it was still pretty fucking popular. It doesn't make a difference if we bought that into being because that was what we loved. There's there's a version of the world out there that exists of people only have a tunnel vision and know this. People have a tunnel vision and know this, and then there's people who don't know anything but they know a name. They'll know Spider-Man. They'll they'll know Beyonce's name, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, and those were still pretty big names considering they were they had a cultural cachet to them. Yeah, ex- exactly. That's what I'm, I think he's got a larger cultural cachet than X-Men. That's what I'm gonna say. All right, I apologize. Go back. Go. I, 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 I hand my time back to the gentleman. <laughs> gentleman, okay. Uh, you go back and look, just watching Darkman, yeah. It's definitely Batman, but it he was closer to Batman the animated series than yes. because it feels like like I just think about that transition where you see Frances McDormand and she's looking at the burning building, and then that slow transition into her in the graveyard. And it has that smart ass sense of humor, but it's not too it's not poking you in the ribs with its jokes. It's very this is the city, these are tough guys, and these yeah. are people yeah. that have sardonic senses of humor. Death is something so Death and corruption are so endemic that it's like, yeah, we want to stop this, but who's going to fucking stop this? Yeah, because there, th- there are things that are not funny, but they work so well in the film that you have to smile about them. Like the idea that, like when he's when he's um, when he has uh, Durant's face on, and he's he, they're starting to lose. They don't know if it's him or not, and he does the whole. By the time I finish this cigar, you have you make your decision. It was like it was perfect. It was like you smile because you see how well that works in somebody's head as the characters, and it comes off so well. I fucking love that scene. I noted it in my notebook because it's like again, you you want to draw another parallel, but not rip off to Batman. Peyton Westlake is not the world's greatest detective. He's not a rich person with means, but he is a hell of a mimic, and he is good at improv because that moment is him trying to figure out what would Durant do. And yeah. then for a moment, like even me going back to watch this and I, I've seen the movie a couple of times, but I don't know, remember the last time I watched it, I'm watching it thinking, oh wait, is this going to be like big sequence where he's like, excuse me for a minute and just runs out and they're like, wait, that's not him. No, he sits right down and he pulls that fucking move. But then two scenes later, you've got Looney Tunes breaking out in a revolving door. Shoot him. No, yeah, shoot yeah. him, you idiot. And it's then the uh, and, and Larry fucking Drake. Yeah. Just looking at his dumb, he's like, whose little boy are you? It's not gonna matter. 
And just, just oh man. But also, I, if you didn't know people, when when Josh brings up Dr. Giggles, Larry Drake was also Dr. Giggles. Yes, I knew. I I thought exactly. That's exactly what I was like. Oh, Larry Drake, like a patron saint of what we're discussing here. But even going back to Darkman's promotional campaign, you look at Batman, and I I was still a young kid. I was like six when Batman yeah. came out. But looking back at what people have said. Like there was that trailer that just popped up in the middle of movie screenings where I don't think it even had the logo yet, or they just didn't put, or they had the logo, but they didn't put the name up. Yeah, people, there were people was, who actually didn't know what it was supposed to be. And that was the iconography that carried that film. And right to the point where you bought that VHS and it was the bat symbol from the movie. It wasn't the full poster. Where, they had the full poster where it's like Nicholson, Keaton, Batman. I think the, the box art was just, the symbol and that was it yeah and then you go to dark man and they have the whole who is dark man thing where it was like pink orange like pink yellow and green like on top of creating this really clever campaign they pop it with the colors and then the final poster where it's peyton in the whole get up standing there with his arm out and like the 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 fire is like like it, it's the it's trench a, coats waving behind him. It's a fucking image, and even just with blue and orange, like everybody loves to rag on blue and orange being the predominant colors in posters now. But even if you drop that poster now, the blues and oranges that are in there are just done so beautifully. And it was just like Josh said, these were the images that you walk through a video store, even if you never saw the poster, even if you were just solely at the video store, and this happened with a lot of direct-to-video genre movies, that art just yeah. stuck in your head. It drew you in, and the ability to browse those sorts of aisles and find that was so unique, and I really miss that. Well, forgetting about the color scheme, as long as, as I mean... Yes, if people want to complain, that's fine. But as long as your poster isn't just the big faces of everybody in the movie, which that's all they do nowadays, yeah. uh, it should be something striking. Uh, and Darkman, that that image is always very striking. And um, the trailer is also striking too. Like I still remember that that trailer music. Like for years, I would hear in my mind, bum 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 bum. bum. <laughs> Like there's just some trailers that really have those, like even if they're not in the movie, they have those really notable themes. Yeah, it, look, it's a wonderful, wonderful movie that more people should see because they haven't for some reason. I don't know why. So that's your call, everybody, to go first. It's a wonderful dark check, man. Check out check out A Wounded Fawn on Shutter. It's available now. Do it. Oh, do it. I, I almost feel like we've underserved that film, but at the same time, uh, 16 millimeter aesthetic. Patrick Bateman. Yeah, that's the one thing I pissed off though. That, you know, we we had, you know, we, we should have mentioned the fact that it was shot on 16 millimeter, yeah. And it is, okay, slight detour because, uh, it, it, hey, it's promoting the movie. I'm sure Shudder will love that we do this. Shudder, we love you, Shudder, Shudder. Um, it just, even with the hairs and like the little imperfections. Yes. Like, there were cigarette that. burns here and there randomly. And then, like, and then just looking at the end and seeing print or films with Kodak film, it's like, that's, it's yeah. so rare, but I love when I see it. And it just, it has that wonderful look to it that it almost feels like you found this tape in the middle of the woods. And it's like, <laughs> oh, I don't I should watch this, but I'm going to. But yeah, everybody go check that out and then go cross Darkman off your overdue rentals list and then come back to us and let us know what you thought. Now, if they need to find us though, Mike, where can people find us? Well, Matt, all I'm going to say is 
we'll do this again. Oh, we'll do this again. Believe in what I say, the words that I say, we're going to do this again. And when we do, you'll be able to find it at the same place that you can always find our back catalog. But where can you find us socially? We're very social gentlemen. We joined Mastodon. And at yeah. Mastodon, you'll find us at Overdue Rentals at Newsy.social. Newsy.social slash Overdue Rentals. What was it again? It's Newsy.social slash Overdue Rentals. Oh, because I saw it on the pages at Overdue Rentals at Newsy.social. Really? I guess I maybe flipped it around. We're going to have to figure that out, ladies and gentlemen. And we, well, distinguished listeners, not just ladies and gentlemen, break the binary. Newsy.social uh, slash at Overdue Rentals. Newsy.social, newsy.social slash Overdue Rentals. Folks. What you're looking at, what you're looking at is, yes, where it says at Overdue Rentals, that's the way it should be here. But the website is newsy.social slash at Overdue Rentals. Sorry. When we're not busy trying to figure out Mastodon, we're still pretty traditional people. And you can find us on TikTok and Instagram at Overdue Rental Show, on Twitter at Rentals Overdue. And I don't know why my Twitter's broken right now, but it is because I haven't been able to tweet all day. Uh, I'm not mad about it or anything, but you can also find us on Facebook at Overdue Rentals. Uh, again, we're very social gentlemen. We like notes. We like love letters. We like suggestions for the formula for that perfect synthetic skin that keeps Liam Neeson... Uh, it keeps Pey Peyton Westlake young. Uh, Liam Neeson just looks fantastic anyway. It's natural, anyway. yeah. Yeah, so you want to send all that to us, send it to us at overduerentals at gmail.com because that's our email box. And again, I I, I want to work this in somehow because I feel like it's a good saying for us. Here at Overdue Rentals, the movie store is where it happens. And if you don't want our virtual movie store to close... You can do a couple things for us here. And the first thing is to find us wherever you ethically source your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Stitcher. Find us wherever and listen to us. Binge those episodes. Go back to the Werewolves Within episode. Go back to our, our first episode with Ben Wheatley. Uh, Talk to Robert Wool about the Batman symbol. Oh, Robert Wool. Oh, okay. Episode two is... I, I almost feel like we need to come up with a list of, like essential episodes are like greatest hits because the Robert Wall, episode two, Robert Wall talks to us about Mistress and Network and Batman. And oh, is that it's something we need to get back on here? But yeah, just, you will find all of that and more. This is episode 68. I remembered it this time. I wrote it down. <laughs> no, I didn't. I just saw 67 and remembered. I did math. But anyway, you'll find our episodes there. But what else can you do to keep the rental store open? Because... Blockbuster may be taking pot shots at its own Netflix uh, series, but are they opening any new stores right now? No, and you probably missed that. Well, if you don't want us to go Blockbuster on you, you should rate, review, and subscribe to us because the rental counter will be able to open, uh, keep stay open, and we'll be able to keep doing this show the way that our audience wants because we're not just doing this for us. We're doing this because Overdue Rentals is a community of people who like to share the offbeat. Because we are everyone and no one. Everywhere, nowhere. Call us overdue rentals.